If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to read, we're going to pick up from where we were last week, actually. It's one of those fun times where we're just going to pick up with the very next verse in Luke chapter 6 at uh, verse 27, and we're going to read down to verse 38. Um, So let's just stand, and let me read this for us, can I? At the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God, Um, And uh, as Jesus says at the very beginning of this passage to you who are willing to listen, I say, so I hope that we are all willing to listen this morning. If Jesus is, I mean, it's like, Jesus, listen up, y'all. I mean, that's that's a loose translation of the Greek there, but uh, let's listen in on on Jesus' words as he preached this sermon But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, it's just a couple more weeks to go this Sunday and next Sunday, and the season of Epiphany will be over, and uh, we'll be moving on into the season of Lent and making our way towards Easter, but I pray and trust that this has been a a helpful season uh, in this Christian calendar year for you, Uh, a helpful and important season as we have celebrated the appearance of of Jesus. Remember, I've said this week after week, but we we celebrate the arrival of Jesus in Advent, but we celebrate his appearance. I just had a friend of mine whose son made his debut on the on the stage for his college theater last night, and he was posting pictures, so proud of his son, now appearing on stage. And 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 we've been celebrating that Jesus has appeared on the stage 
of human history. And he is still appearing on this, this beautiful platform. Uh, we, we recognize that, that here comes Jesus, the revelation of the Father above, and the manifestation of Jesus to all the world. I was reminded of the words of the song that we sing at Christmas time, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Remember those? Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And my prayer is that as we have thought more about the appearance of Jesus and about just his, his arrival onto the scene and, and our discovery of who he is, that our souls have begun to feel more and more the worth that God has poured into them. We believe that, again, Jesus is even now appearing, and he's longing to make known the beauty and the mystery of God to his people and to the world. He's, Jesus is longing to reveal God and his love, his character, to, to transform the hearts and lives of all and any who would put their faith in him. Just bow your heads with me one more time, would you? Let me just pray this epiphany prayer to and for us this morning as we share in these moments. Gracious God, today we thank you for making yourself known to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping us to know your character and your glory and your grace. All praise be to you, O God, because you have revealed yourself to us. All praise be to you, Lord Jesus, because you have shown us the Father and because you have embodied divine grace so that we might receive it. All praise be to you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to live in this grace each day. Amen. Well, if the part of the sermon that we looked at Last week in verses 20 through 26, and if you have a Bible, you can look back at that if you'd like to. If that part of the sermon that we looked at last week gave us a glimpse into the gracious heart of God as we thought about and looked at the, the blessings of God on those who live in obedience to Him and the, the, the warnings of God to those who would live out of obedience to him, then this next part of the sermon that we have read this morning gives us a wide-angle view into the kind of life that is to characterize those who would be followers of Jesus. You see, flowing out of, we need to catch this and catch the context, flowing out of the provision and the blessing of God comes this invitation right on its heels. No pause, no change of subject, just right on the heels of this talk of God's blessing and provision comes this invitation of Jesus for those who would follow after him to live in the world in a very specific way, a very certain way, a radical way, a way of living that reflects a heart that is filled with gratitude for the love that God has poured out to them and with a sense of responsibility to extend that same love into the world. We've been blessed, we've been warned, we've been loved by this gracious God, then we need to be people who are grateful for it and who are responsible with it to extend that same kind of love 
out into the world in which we live. Jesus isn't talking about just sort of your run-of-the-mill love either, even a run-of-the-mill biblical kind of love. I mean, elsewhere he will say what's the heart of, you know, the heart of the commandments. He'll say to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And most of us are like, okay, I can kind of get with that. But Jesus in these words takes it up even a notch above that. This isn't just the run-of-the-mill great commandment kind of love where we're to love God and love our neighbors. It's the commandment and the talk of loving our enemies. And not just, I think this is really important for us, not just, you know, those enemies. Those enemies maybe that are political and that are far away. He's not just talking about loving ISIS here or loving North Korea here, as important as that is and as significant as that is and as I'm sure that is a part of what he's saying. He's not just talking about kind of giving lip service to our love for these forces that we may never come in contact with, but he's talking about enemies that are personal and that are very nearby. And if this text is to speak to us at all this morning, then it's very important right now for you to get into your mind who some of those enemies might be. Some of you are like, I don't have any enemies. Well, you should ask them. No. It's important. Think of the, think of the maybe, maybe these aren't people that you want to go to war with, that you want to necessarily fight against do in, in hand-to-hand combat, as we most often, our minds go to when we hear the word enemy. But, but think of the, the co-workers. Think of the, the bosses. Think of the employees. Think of the classmates. Think of the cross-town rivals. Think of the neighbors who don't like where you park your car or you don't like where they park theirs. Think even of family members, perhaps. Think of those people who, though we might not think of it always in this regard, just have, seem to have it out for us. Or when we think of them, we kind of want to have it out for them. The, the, the ones who, who just even in a casual conversation can leave us feeling hurt. Those perhaps who, at a much deeper level, that have caused us pain or abused us in some way. And again, Jesus leaves no room here for simple lip service to our love. But he calls us to not only picture these very faces of those who we are in conflict with, but to extend ourselves in loving ways that are tangible, that are action-oriented. Many over the centuries have read these words from Jesus here in Luke and similar words from Matthew's gospel and have called this kind of love unrealistic, unworkable in actual life, in actual everyday living. It's just an ideal. It's just an idea. It's just... Uh, Something to maybe reach for, but not anything that we'll ever necessarily attain. Others have said, this is just pie in the sky. It's a a beautiful picture, but, but nowhere within our range. Others have said, maybe Jesus meant this kind of ethic to be 
temporary for those who are living like alongside of him, those disciples that walked alongside of him in his day with some special sense of accountability and empowerment there. Uh, still others want to say that it's only the, the spirit of these demands that Jesus is most concerned with, and he doesn't really expect his followers to actually put them into practice. But look there again, if you have the Bible open. I mean, it's rapid fire, isn't it? And it seems to me that there is perhaps no more rubber meets the road portion of Scripture for daily Christian life than this one. When we think about the interactions that we have with people, when we think about the conversations and the, the past conflicts and the, the ones that are even brewing right now, it seems like we can, can't do much better and, and that, our, that our lives cannot be much more significantly impacted than by giving our, not only our attention but our obedience to this passage. This love for our enemies is, is completely irrational in the context of normal human relationships. It, it violates all of our natural instinct within us. It is a shock to our typical ways of thinking. If you didn't think that when I read through the passage, then you're far better than me and most of us. And yet this is Jesus's call. And, and the radical character of it is not an excuse for us to bypass it. <laughs> when we read something radical in the scriptures, that doesn't just mean, oh, it must not really be something that we should do. That, that's not the kind of scripture that I want. Is that the kind of word of God that you long for, that when it's radical, you just kind of think that somehow it's not something to be you know, upheld? No, the, the radical nature of it is so that it might catch our attention. The radical nature of it is because it, it needs to be clearly communicated that this is vitally important to Jesus and incredibly significant to what a life looks like in the kingdom of God. What a life looks like that is pleasing to God. A life that, that, that reflects and reveals the call of Jesus. This is this is an epiphany passage, friends, because right here we have the appearance of the core of Jesus' teaching. Right here we have an appearance of the very heart of God at its deepest and most significant level that those who would follow after him would be so filled with and consumed by his love for his creation that we might reflect and live out that same love. It's an epiphany passage because we all need to see God at work and have his love revealed to us even in new ways today that we might live this out in the world. There's no scorecard when it comes to, when it comes to the love of God. It's baseball season. Anybody? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Well, all right. Spring training just started. Some of you are like, who cares? I don't understand it. Why do they stand out there for three hours? It's all valid questions. I totally get it. But ever since I stopped coaching my son's little league teams, now I'm just kind of watching games and I like to keep score. I like to actually keep a scorecard. I don't know if anybody likes to do it. That is so nerdy and um, just weird. 
Just enjoy the game. Just talk to people. Just cheer. No, I got to keep it. And now that you can do it on your, there's an app for it. And so it's even better and easier. And it'll print out all sorts of like charts. And yeah, that's enough. But, but, it, but keeping score in a baseball game in the old style way, if you ever saw this, you keep a scorebook and you, you, could, you, you record every detail, every ball, every strike, every out. Every hit, every error, every stolen base, every wild pitch, every, every detail that goes on, everything that happens on every play, you are supposed to, if you're doing it right, record it into the book. So much so that someone, if after the game they were to look at the book, they could go through it and they could essentially tell what happened on every pitch, on every play, and, and be able to replay the game in a sense just by looking over uh, the, the scorebook. My favorite part, though, of keeping score is when someone scores a run, because when someone scores a run, you're actually on your score sheet, they have this little diamond, and you get to move them to first base, draw a little pencil mark, and then on to second base, pencil mark, third base. It's really fun. Some of you, again, are totally lost, but that's all right. But when they score, here's the fun part. This is what I wanted to get to. When they score, you get to fill it in. You get to color it in with a pencil. You get to make this really nice dark mark so that when someone looks at the scorebook, if they want to know nothing else than the score, all they have to do are count up the dark pencil-in diamonds. And they can know, they can sift through all the other stuff that most of us don't care about and know, what's the score? I just want to know what the score is, right? And we can know the score. I don't know if you, which, if, if you thought this way at all, but when I read this passage of, in these words of Jesus, I thought, what's the score? And when I read it, I cannot tell. I can't tell who's winning, who's losing, who's, who's scoring runs, who's not scoring runs. There is no scorebook. There is no sense of this gets you that. This will get you that. If you go from here to there and there to there, then you will finally get home. There's no sense of that. It's just all a toss-up. And it's the, the only real clear thing that there is in this passage is that the winners are those who are on the side of love, those who are on the side of mercy, and those who are on the, sign, the side of ultimate kindness, the, the heart of God. You just, just toss it out. And, and the thing about this is this is so anti and, and against the way that we live our lives. And that's why this passage is so shocking to us because we like to keep score, not just in baseball. In fact, most of us don't like to keep score in baseball, at least the scorebook. We like to keep score in relationships. We like to keep score, especially with our enemies. Oh man, if they do something to us, then just wait. And even if they didn't know they did something to us, but it's piling up. And I'm keeping score for them, and I'm going to make sure I even it out over here. And this is all going to be just and fair and right. And Jesus says, throw the scorebook out. The only winners are those that are on the side of love, those that are on the side of grace, those that are on the side of ultimate kindness. There's so much going on in this passage that we're not going to get down into the ground level of it. But I just want to look at it from about, I don't know, 35,000 feet and, and look down and, and, and just make some affirmations about this passage. Make some affirmations about this, this, 
this portion of Scripture and some truths that I think we need to, to be sure and hold on to as we think about this, this kind of love that Jesus is calling us to. First is this. You can write these down. They won't be on the screen, but you can write them down if you'd like. The love that we're called to will actively pursue the good of others, regardless of opposition. The, the love that we're called to will actively, and that's the key word, pursue the good of others regardless of the opposition that we face or that we are even aware of. I remember Brother Charles, uh, who was part of our church a number of years ago. Some of you remember Brother Charles. And uh, he's Crosby Panoyan's brother, but he's all of our brother, brother, because he was Brother Charles. He was a prison chaplain. He was an evangelist for years and years and years and years. And by the time I got to our church, he was already kind of older, but he continued on in ministry for a number of years. Brother Charles used to look at me often, and we'd be talking about things in his office or out to lunch somewhere, and not out to lunch somewhere, out to lunch at Scandies. If you know Brother Charles, that's the only place he ever went to lunch and dinner for like 18 years in a row. I'm not lying. But when we'd be out to lunch, he'd look at me, and he'd start to talk about something, and he, his eyes would start to get kind of beady, and I thought they were going to pop out of his head. And he looked at me and said, Pastor James, I'm not normal. I'm not normal. And I would look at him and I'd say, you are right. You are absolutely correct right now, Brother Charles. You are not normal. And then he'd go on to tell some story that he had just done, that he had just lived out of some occasion that he had met with someone in jail, and he had shared Jesus with them, and then he had gone to meet their family, and he would brought them food and clothing, and, you know, some miracle had happened out of his not normal willingness, abnormal willingness to engage in the love and power of God. And, and I just thought about that, and I thought about Brother Charles as I thought about this description of the love that Jesus is calling us to. Friends, it is not normal. Just if, if you think it is, then just get that out of your mind. If you think the life that Jesus calls us to, the life in, lived in relationship with other people, is somehow like the one that our culture invites us to or is trying to and succeeding in large fashion shape within us, then just step back and just know that that's not true. It, it's not normal compared to the life that we see in in culture. It's not even normal, again, in regard to Jewish law. We already said that. The Jewish law that Jesus would affirm, Jesus, that Jesus would affirm elsewhere it was to love God and to love your neighbor. But this was different. This is love geared towards those who hate us and persecute us. And this is love. This is love that is, is not simply to be sort of this passive indifference or kind of a, what I'm going to think of as a putting up with somebody sort of love. You know, there's all sorts of levels. There's, there's agape and there's, you know, putting up with somebody. I'm just kidding. There's not that kind of, that's not a Greek word either. But there's kind of a love that we that we express sometimes where it's just this passive indifference. I'm going to put up with them as sort of a, an expression of my love. Or it's this, 
Jesus is saying that this is not an intellectual or a sentimental attitude or this feeling of love. It's, it's, it's action that Jesus is interested here, in here. Moving forward for the benefit of the other, even in the face of persecution and hostility. Far more than not retaliating, which is our gut instinct, disciples of Jesus are to move forward uh, in positive steps that promote goodness in the life of the other. It's an extraordinary kind of love that we're to pursue. I, I gotta just ask you, just in, in this moment, what, is it, what does it look like to do good to those who have done nothing but wrong to us? What does it look like to, to, to bless someone, to invoke God's favor? <laughs> you know, we, we often think of invoking something else from God on our enemies, but to invoke God's favor on those who have uh, hurt us, to, in, in, to intercede in prayer for an enemy. It's one thing to intercede for our brother Dan this morning, to stand in the gap for those that we know, that we love, that are hurting for one reason or another. It, it's another thing to stand in the gap and intercede for those who have hurt us in any number of ways. What would it look like to pursue good of the other in the face of opposition. Here is a demonstration of a life that is totally submitted to God's plan and purposes. The only way we can do that is when, like the psalm that we heard, Psalm 37, the only way that we can do that is when we submit ourselves completely to the hand of God, as well as the other person. I'm yours, so I can love that way. He's yours as well, God. So I can love this way. We're to be people who are pursuing the good of those of the enemy, even in the face of opposition. Here's another idea that, that comes from this passage. The love we're called to has no agenda and is offered expecting nothing in return. We, when we come to someone, we come to them not as a project to be fixed, when we stand in, in opposition to someone who is against us in one form or another, we come not with a, a strategy to try to kind of get them on our side or to flip the circumstances or to get ourselves in a position of influence or authority over them. We come not with an agenda. This, this, this week, my daughter was filling out some paperwork. She was trying to access some different things online and she needed my password or something. She needed my help with this. And when we got into it, all I wanted to know, I, I kind of lost sight of my daughter sitting right there. And all I wanted to know was, what are the instructions? I was like, all right, just tell me what you've done and kind of how you got into this mess, or so I thought, and how I can get us out. And, and I, I like to follow instructions. I like, I'm that kind of a guy, for good or bad. And so I, back up, back, 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 what? Okay, we're not, now, and, and then we kind of worked our way forward, and I realized that she had it all right. I just needed to do something very simple. But the, the point is that often we come at people wanting to follow cert, a certain agenda. 
wanting to initiate our ideas about how this relationship might work best and what, what they can do in relation to what we can do so it can move forward in a positive way. The love that Jesus speaks of here it, it has no agenda, offers nothing, and, and, and expects nothing in, in return. Our, for a lot of us, it's our sense of righteousness that overwhelms our sense of or our spirit of love. We, we want what's right as opposed to what is loving. Jesus says it isn't our corrective measures that are needed, but our loving actions. This love that Jesus speaks of is willing to set aside what seems right and fair and deal with the person that is right in front of us. This love that Jesus speaks of and it's, it, the danger is that it would be too cliche, but the love that Jesus speaks of is available, it's vulnerable, and listen, it's subject to repeated abuse. It's subject to, to being set up again and again, and taking revenge for Jesus is excluded. The risk of things going from bad to worse is very real. This love is not utilitarian. It doesn't actually seem to do anything. It doesn't feel purposeful. It doesn't really hold people accountable, this love that Jesus is talking about here. It's love that always calls us to make the first move. I just, it's not normal. <laughs> it's love that, that calls us to extend ourselves, as Jesus says famously in what's become known as the golden rule in ways that we would like others to do for us, but we're not necessarily guaranteed of. There's no sense of retribution, treating others as they have treated us. There's no restitution, expecting others to treat us well because we treated them well. It's love that's at a higher standard. It's love that is offered to those who are not able to offer anything back in return. I read this quote from uh, Mother Teresa, um, quoted in another book, but she said, pray for me that I not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. I thought that was so, pray for me that I not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Asking that, that, that in, the, in the ministry that she was giving out, that she would not let that somehow substitute or replace the, the more essential tasks that she knew to be true of holding on to the hands of Jesus. And it's true as well that as we hold on to the hands of Jesus first, then we're able to love in the manner that he's called us to. No agenda, no expectations. And if, if we just... We just move forward and say, yeah, that's right. I'm just going to love with no agenda, no expectations. Then we're sunk. That's the guise of loving others. But if we hold on to the hands of Jesus, then it becomes possible to us. A third idea, the love we're called to models God's love. And it sets loose. And it is set loose to be a healing and redemptive power in the world. Thinking about uh, kind of this season of the year, and, and we maybe have some people who are uh, 
you know, sick today, and, and we think about the, the flu shot, some of you got it, some of you didn't, and we could have a great debate about that here this morning, but we won't. Um, but, but we think about the epidemics that can, that can come across a, a nation or a city or a, a world even, and we think about those that have hit and that have devastated populations that have, that have been so devastating to, to humanity. And, and then we, we think about the opposite effect or the opposite potential uh, for, 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 the, for the good and the beautiful contagion that would be let loose into the atmosphere in which we live. And I think about Trish's friends who she shared about here this morning, who about 50 of them were sitting right there in those seats last Sunday. And about the, the love that they experienced and, and felt on that day. The, the love that I pray that each of us would experience as we gather together as God's love is poured out through us. But it just makes me wonder that as we, as we listen to the commands of Jesus, that, that as we live them out, not only as we remain gripped to the hands of Jesus... As, and as we live them out, not only are we modeling what God is like in the world, but in some beautiful sort of mysterious but graceful way, when, when God's people are loving in this capacity, we're setting loose the love of God in powerful ways that we can't always measure or somehow count that can have this ripple effect, this trickle down or up or out impact that, be, that can begin to transform lives and transform societies in ways that we might not ever imagine and that we could never accomplish on our own. In fact, many of the verbs that are here in this passage are in the plural. They're not singular commands, but they're plural commands given not to just individual believers, but to a community of faith. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, to his followers, not just individuals, but to all of these people grouped together, love in such a way. And as you do, unleash into the world this kind of love that it, not only individuals might intersect with and be experienced and experience, but that society might intersect with and be impacted by as well. Clement, writing in the second century, he said it like this, for when they hear from us that God says, it is no credit to you if you love them that love you, but it is a credit to you if you love your enemies and those who hates you, when they hear this, they wonder at this extraordinary goodness. But when they see that we not only do not love those who hate us, but do not even love those who love us, they laugh us to scorn, and the name is blasphemy. Our love for one another, Jesus said, is what will demonstrate to the world that, that we have a love for God, that, that we are God's people. Our love for those who hate us, 
our expression and extension of kindness to those who would want to harm us or to hurt us is that which will proclaim an incredible message to the world and that which will set loose the love of God into the world to be a healing and redemptive power in the world. I just, when you, when you have that person or that, that individual in your mind or that group of people that is your enemy, that thinks of you at least in that way, how might your loving action toward them, your doing good, your blessing, your prayer for them, how might it set into motion a chain of events that might not otherwise be set into motion that could not only change their lives, but change the whole trajectory of, of history. I, little things, ripple effect, and the impact like a, a, a pebble in a, in a pond rippling out to make great impact. Well, here's the, here's the last idea that I draw from this, this passage. Just a little bird's eye view, it's simply this, the love that we are called to, the love that we are called to here in this passage, the the words of Jesus himself, is a love that not only sort of sends us out in in action, but but as as it sends us out in action, it, it has this sort of reverse effect of drawing us back even more deeply into the love of God. And, and Jesus talks about it in some ways that are kind of hard to explain, hard to express, but he, but he basically says in there that there will be reward for those of, of his followers who live and who love in this way. But it's kind of hard to get at exactly what the reward is. It's not, you know, it's not prosperity. We know that. It's not if you love these people, you're going to get rich. We, we know that it's not like just good feelings all the time, that if you love these People, you're just always going to feel good about loving the people who hate you, that you're just going to have warm fuzzies about that. We know that's not that kind of reward. We, 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 we have some inkling that it could be some sense of eternal reward that God, that Jesus is offering here for sure. But there's also this sense, as many have noted, that, that as we love in this way, we're drawn more deeply into the love of the Father. We're brought back more deeply into this, into this beautiful flow of what's known as Trinitarian love. This love that is so beautifully and powerfully shared between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That as we live out the love that they have equipped us to share, we're drawn even more deeply back into that love and experience it at new and deeper levels. So this is kind of reverse. It's not reverse psychology, but maybe it's reverse spirituality, that if we really want to know and experience the depth of the love of God in our own lives, it's not by sitting around somewhere and simply looking up and asking God to draw us more deeply into his love, but it's by actually going out and loving the unlovable. It's by actually by going out and loving those who have caused us pain. It's by going out and loving those who would want uh, only our failure. <laughs> and it's in so doing that we open ourselves 
to the love of God in new ways that draws us in and then sends us out and then draws us in. Do you get it? Do you see it? There's just this, there's just this beautiful flow into the heart of God, the Trinitarian flow of love, out to a world where there's hatred and persecution and fear, and back in and back out. Realistic? Only as we grip the hands of Jesus. Workable? Only as we live out of the flow of Trinitarian love. The call of Jesus, without a doubt. Let's pray together, can't we? God, thank you for this word this morning. And again, at, at the risk of sounding cliche to, to talk about love, how important it is that we come face-to-face with the call of Jesus on our lives, this, this epiphany moment for us where the enemies that we think of, ones that, that are very far away perhaps today and, and unknown, or, or those that are, we might not call them this, but if it really got down to it, we would have to say that the way we live in relationship with this person or that person would deserve that title. That, that we would have this epiphany moment that, that the love that you call us to live out is love for that person. A radical love. A love that isn't normal. A love that is only accessible and available as we stay gripped to the hands of Jesus, as we live out of the flow of Trinitarian love. But it is, it is, it is so significant to not only the growth of our own lives, but the, to the mission that you have, God, in the world. So today, may we have an epiphany moment. May this core teaching of Jesus and this, this glimpse or this wide-angle view into the heart of God and to your mission in the world, may it captivate us and may it capture us and may it simply not let us be the same. And when we catch ourselves, or as your Holy Spirit catches us responding or reacting to certain people or to certain groups or to certain uh, individuals in, in ways that would be uh, not reflective of the love that you have called us to, would you, would you, Spirit, catch us and would you redirect us and would you correct us and would you, would you initiate in us a drawing near to you so that we might, we might be filled and fueled by your love. That that might be like the air we breathe, the expression of our lives into the world. And Jesus, as your church, as your people, more and more are gripped by this reality. May you do with it. May you... May you work with the love of your people in ways that we could never 
imagine or manipulate. Have your way among us. Send us out to be your loving people today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.